This is the sound of turning ideas into software. This is the sound of engineering and passion. Work. Work more. Work harder. Experiment. Build. Break. And build again. Write code. Improve it. Job done. Celebrate. Insurance. Finance. Retail. Defense. Robotics. Energy. Amethyx. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. This is Francesco, podcasting from the regular office of uh, Amethyx Technologies based in Belgium. Today, I'm not alone. I am with some guys from uh, Rails AI, an amazing company out there. We're going to get a lot more about this, uh, uh, this nice company and the problem they solve. I am with uh, Derek Manouj, uh, co-founder and CTO at Rails AI, and uh, Pasha Zavari, Director of Data Science at Rails AI. Hi, guys. How are you doing today? Fantastic. Great to be here. Excellent. Yeah, good to, good to be on. Nice. Uh, so, well, uh, before getting into the details and, uh, uh, you know, the core of this show that is going to be, as always, um, you know, a, a bit of business information about what these uh, data science companies do. And, of course, um, a lot more technicalities because the audience of data science at home, uh, of course, loves speaking about technical stuff. Um, I'm going to tell you what Rails uh, does. Rails, in fact, is an API that connects to major accounting platforms to provide you with quick access to normalized and analyzed financial data. Is that right, guys? Did I say it wrong? Right? Yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> yeah, at, at, at a very <laughs> a high level, that's exactly right. Yeah. Okay, so, well, I don't uh, speak anymore for now. I would like to... Uh, to let to let you guys speak, I would like to know more about what is Rails. But before that, a little bit about yourself, your background, and position at Rails. Take it away. Great. Thanks. So uh, I'm probably best described as a quant. Um, my background, uh, from an educational standpoint, has been in mathematics. Uh, specifically, my discipline has been model development. And I had worked at uh, a number of financial institutions prior to starting Rails, uh, one being Scotiabank, which is a top five bank here in Canada with a large international presence, where we worked on credit risk model validation. So essentially, if you apply for a credit card or maybe you're a, a nation looking for a sovereign debt, you obviously need to uh, apply for credit through traditional application means and we need to evaluate you on the basis of your financial worthiness. And so we were focused on evaluating the models that were used to decide whether financing was extended, whether you're a consumer or a corporate or a commercial entity or even a, a sovereign nation. After that, I walked across the street here in Toronto to KPMG, where I helped lead the quant team there in financial risk management solving technical problems for the firm. We were pretty much the SWAT team for any math or stats problems that came through, uh, which was a fun experience. Worked on a lot of interesting projects with a number of clients over the years there. And uh, the target market was North America and the Caribbean. So uh, service close to three dozen different financial institutions solving FinTech related and statistical risk related problems for them. And that's when I realized that a lot of institutions that we worked with 
did not leverage data in the way that they could have uh, in order to get a better measure of the risk of these credit products or financial products that they were offering. And so I had started a company called Coral, which did revenue-based financing. And really the objective there was let's amass as much data on a small business as possible. Let's connect their bank accounts, their accounting systems, their payment processors. Uh, we scrape the web to see what we can find on them online. And then using that point cloud of data, how can we evaluate them for financing? So very much like a automated venture investing or capital as a service provider. And through that journey, uh, that's where I met Pasha. And the two of us began developing algorithms specifically focused towards how do you evaluate the credit worthiness or financial health of a small business. And that kicked off the journey of Rails. A couple of years after that, we had been working with the government. We had been extending credit to a number of small businesses. And we realized that the technology that we had developed should be democratized. There are other finance institutions that can use this in the same way that we were. And therefore, in 2020, we launched Rails. That's such an inspiring story. Pasha, so what was your role back in the days? And what are you going to do now? What are you doing now, in fact, with, uh, uh, with Derek? <laughs> My my academic background um, is is a little bit more more uh, more broad. I actually started out in engineering and went on to study uh, economics and mathematics. Um, and uh, over the course, you know, over the 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 arc or the trajectory of 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 my career, um, I've I've had the opportunity to sort of dabble in uh, government, uh, you know, Fortune five hundred uh, type organizations, and and of course um, the the startup domain. And was specifically within within fintech. Um, uh, earlier on in, in my career, um, I was I was in, in fact uh, more on the quantitative uh, analytics side of things, uh, developing uh, models for al algorithmic trading, um, which uh, I you know I still uh, love and enjoy to this day. Um, but uh, you know throughout uh, the um, uh, throughout the years, um, I uh, you know I became um, more and more in line with with the the principles and philosophies and and um, the, the the transformative uh, you know potential of of uh, the, uh, uh, the the fintech world and uh, you know democratization was was the perfect um, uh, way to to uh, perfect verbiage to sort of express that like like Derek mentioned a, a minute ago and 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 really it it you know for me it began. Um, even even before having uh, joined Coral, but but def definitely that was a solidifying um, uh, sort of uh, step for me uh, in in terms of uh, applying the, the principles of of um, uh, analytics, data analytics, and and and, and data science, um, and, um, and and certainly data engineering um, in a capacity that I, I had not. Um, had um, had the opportunity to do so in the past, and I, and um, uh, even even now more more so than ever, it's it's becoming more and more paramount uh, in this particular space. Um, and um, so, like you know, Derek had had, had um, uh, mentioned earlier, um, our journey began with with Coral, and and here we are today um, at, uh, at at Rails. Um, That's cool. And so, if someone asked you. Um, 
what's the typical problem that you guys are solving at Rails? Like, um, you know, you don't have to pitch your company, but uh, you have to. I would like to know uh, what's the typical problem because from there we can also go to who's the typical user of Rails, right, or customer in, in, the, in this case. The problem we're solving is one of data collection, cleaning, uh, and analyzation. So really the main focus that we have uh, attended to is how do we collect as much financial data on a small business as possible uh, and do so in a way that we can ensure that the integrity of that data is very high and how can we use that data to construct uh, models or analytics uh, or different um, metrics on top that we can then supply to an end customer. So I would say largely it's been a function of building a single API that can, can connect to all of these various service providers that create data so that we can pull that data out, clean it, normalize it, and supply it to our end customer in real time. And so who's the typical customer in this case? It's mostly financial institutions and fintech companies. You can kind of think of us as like a data infrastructure layer, and many of our customers are building software applications on top of it. And so if you think about the different use cases that could exist, the number one by far is the lending or underwriting space. If you're a small bank or a lender and you need to evaluate a small business for financing, you can either ask the owner of the business to prepare financial statements, and then two to four weeks later, you can get those statements in PDF or Excel form, and then you have to manually extract the data, put them into your credit models, and then a couple weeks later, you'll get a decision. Or you can rely on Rails, where we have a direct feed into the accounting system of the small business. And within seconds, you can get authorized access to that data and pull all of it in going back in time to inception on the business. So we're talking about thousands of data points that you would not even have access to today in the normal workflow process. And so the banks and the small lenders will focus on this data because they need to evaluate the, the fraud or the credit risk of these businesses for the purpose of extending credit to them. But there's other use cases as well. If you think about the converse approach, which is instead of pulling data out of the system, you push it into the system. You now open up a wide variety of use cases where you can have automated financial workflows. So think of a payment processor or a credit card provider. You spend uh, using that credit card or that payment processor and you have a number of transactions that are now siloed within that payment processor provider. And if, in order to extract that information, um, either you can manually put those transactions into your accounting system, or you can use Rails to automate that process of sending all the transactions in so that you have a complete record of your financial history within your accounting system. And you can stack different use cases on top of that, that are, for example, in the trade finance world, where if you're uh, working with counterparties you may need to evaluate their financial health before you work with them. And then you send them an invoice, which you can trigger via Rails. They can pay it using their bank process. And then we can take that data, 
and store that back into the accounting system. So there's this full 360 workflow process now you can automate, which is not currently the state of affairs today. Oh, absolutely. And uh, indeed, when we speak about banks and uh, uh, financial transactions, in fact, uh, sometimes it looks like those folks are, are decades <laughs> behind, right? Um, I mean, all, all you say is amazing, in fact, and uh, because, you know, you mentioned two important aspects of this process, which is speed and automation, uh, which is pretty much everywhere today. Um, and even more so for banks and financial transactions and all our financial life, uh, financial life, in fact. But there are some implications of this, and there are, I believe, some consequences of this, you know, uh, increased speed and automation. Uh, I can mention some. I mean, as a European, I should be speaking about privacy, data protection, regulation, etc. So how do you guys manage both? Yeah, so we are primarily focused on North America today. And so small businesses in Europe that may fall under GDPR regulation um, does not currently impact rails. Um, however, we do take data security and protection uh, very seriously. And we actually just uh, passed our SOC 2 type 1 uh, and are fully certified on that front. Um, but in terms of very special or very sensitive data, we do have separate servers, different databases. We clean all the fields to make sure that they're masked. Um, and we only have certain permission credential access to that data itself. And so we, we do use industry best standards with regards to safeguarding this private information. Uh, and at the end of the day, the business has to give us access and consent to us using that data in the first place. Um, they also have the right to disconnect at any point in time. Um, so they can trigger uh, the flow of data um, as well as the cessation of that data to us. Um, and so that's how at least we can safeguard um, uh, the data from any third parties, um, as well as even having comfort over the business's data, not getting in the hands of um, um, ourselves for too long if they don't want it. All right, I think we should be switching gears here <laughs> and uh, uh, start getting familiar with the, the technicalities of all these uh, amazing features that you guys implement and have in your portfolio. Um, now, there is one thing in particular that a, reader, a user can also read from your uh, website, uh, rails.ai. Um, that is the typical, I would say, pipeline or workflow of, of the data scientists as we know them. Uh, that is connect, collect, normalize, and analyze. That kind of, uh, you know, it's something that goes a bit across sector, uh, you know, from healthcare to finance to uh, fintech, media, uh, social media, etc. So, you know, these are kind of the um, uh, invariants across sectors, right? Uh, now, my question is, where is Rails playing the most relevant role in this common pipeline across sectors? So today we actually do it all. Um, we, we do the connection, we do the collection, we do the normalization, and we perform the analysis. Um, I would say what differentiates us from anyone else in the market today is the normalization and analysis part. So it's easy to have ETLs or data aggregators just collect the raw data and pass it through an API to an end customer. 
However, there's a, still a lot of work that you have to do to that raw data in order to make it easily interpretable. And so we provide a consistent schema uh, or format of the data uh, for certain data types so that regardless of where you're getting the data from, you as an end user of that API sees it presented in the same format every time. And then as a result of that, we can now build analytics on top. And I'll pass it off to Pasha to describe some more about that. So just to recap, is a way to um, aggregate and indeed normalize, which means show to the end user or to, cons to consumer of this data, uh, exactly the same schema over time so that they can uh, effectively implement algorithms and never go wrong, in fact, because we have, we have been there many times that one implements an algorithm, then someone else, an engineer usually, changes something in the back end, the data schema changes, and boom, the algorithm stops working, right? <laughs> so, Pasha, please expand on this because we really want to know. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this, uh, this idea of, of normalization, uh, standardizing across uh, various different, different schemas um, is, is really a, 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 a unifying um, uh, force which enables the end user to, um, to be able to build um, analytics uh, on, on, on top of this immutable um, uh, you know, data output, and uh, you know, not not have to uh, worry about the the in integrity, cohesiveness, and the consistency. Um, you know, as, as as you know, we have um, you know we we work with a, a number of different accounting service providers, um, uh, each of which uh, will have their own um, output uh, schema, and um, and so uh, you know as um, as a you know financial institution or a lender, um, if you're having to pull in from these different sources, um, the amalgamation is one um, uh, challenge uh, to be able to take all of that raw data and uh, you know clean up and amalgamate. But uh, it's another to to be able to to standardize in such a way um, so that you have cohesiveness and consistency between uh, uh, these uh, these various inputs um, and. Um, and, and, and so a lot of a lot of the you know like Derek mentioned earlier, I mean we 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 do it all uh, from the very beginning, from the, the point of extraction to the transformation and and so on. Um, but um, you know from uh, from the, the the standpoint of, of, of you know the, the 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 holy grail sort of speaking in this in this particular process in this in this pipeline, um, the um, the process of normalization is is by far the um, uh, the, the most challenging aspect, and, the, and of course, it's the most rewarding aspect because it's it's the it's the one um, it's it's one of the key ingredients that uh, has been missing up until this point in time. Um, hey, let me tell you how I stay protected while surfing the web. I use NordVPN. With NordVPN, I not only protect my data and my privacy. But I can also change my virtual location anytime I want and from more than 59 different countries. And <laughs> that's really cool. I can watch pretty much all the streaming services I want regardless of where I am. And I can also use it from my phone, my iPad, my laptop and all the other computers at home. <laughs> and believe me, it is fast. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash data science 
or use the code DATASCIENCE to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus one additional month for free, plus a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Check it out. So, uh, to be more specific, do you have to deal with structured data, unstructured data, or uh, can you provide a, of course, if you guys can disclose <laughs> clearly, <laughs> um, you know, what are the typical data types that you deal with? Um, and, and how do you normalize them, you know, accordingly? Yeah, the, from the raw data standpoint, it's mostly semi-structured. Um, and we're talking about highly nested and highly convoluted JSON objects, um, which come from these different accounting systems um, and are presented in their own unique formats. Um, now, JSON is obviously primarily the data type that we work with. However, there's XML and there's a lot of legacy data types that, um, for example, the old school accounting or ERP solutions uh, have adopted. Um, and so that's where there's obviously some challenges and we have to build our own specific details to handle a lot of the parsing and conversion of those data objects. Um, I'll say that the interesting part of what we're doing is not only from uh, a consistency of the output object, but it's from a consistency of the contextual object. So if you think of accounting data, there's many different ways to present it. You know, there's IFRS, there's gap accounting, different accounting systems, maybe group accounts different ways, uh, and there's unique charts of accounts. And so the novelty of what we've developed internally is our ability to uh, provide context on top of the data so that the actual output object is not only consistent in its schema, but consistent in the way that the, the data is shown and presented. And so we, we believe that given what we've developed internally, this is what uh, enables us to provide the analytics on top um, in such a streamlined fashion, which is um, obviously one of the core value propositions of, of our API. I see. And is there any particular algorithm? Of course, here uh, I'm, I'm getting into the sensitive aspects of Rails. Uh, I don't want to go there, but I'm super curious. And please tell me if you cannot disclose anything. But do you deal with categorization, uh, named entity recognition, or simple parsing? Uh, is that stuff in place, at least? Uh, yeah, and, 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 and to your point, you know, we can, we can talk about this at, at, at a relatively you know, higher, higher level um, because of the, the, you know, the, the sensitivity of, of the underlying technology. But, but, but you're right. I mean, there, there are, um, you know, this, this challenge of, of being able to um, uh, categorize and, and recognize contextually certain things about, um, say, a, a, a transaction line item um, coming in and, and, you know, you're wanting to link this um, uh, to, uh, you know, to, to some sort of an accounting uh, chain, which then can be used to, to create a financial statement. Um, there, there are, you know, a, a, a number of things that, 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 that we can do in order to um, achieve, uh, you know, high enough levels of accuracy so that, uh, so that we can generate reliable output. And, and um, you know, one of those, one of those things, um, uh, one of those techniques is, is the, um, uh, the, the approach uh, taken in, in topic modeling. Uh, but topic modeling itself is uh, insufficient. Um, 
topic modeling in itself is insufficient because uh, it there's there's no contextual understanding of the the, the incoming uh, incoming data and so the, uh, the there also is an NLP component um, that um, that our our, our process uh, depends on uh, which is uh, trains very heavily um, on uh, you know very specific uh, uh, sample data coming in uh, that um, uh, that that we've we've fine tuned um, within um, within our stack, and um, it um, it is designed to to pick up what um, you lack uh, in the in the sort of the the topic modeling sphere um, to be able to uh, make more sense of the contextual data coming in. That is um, the the relationship um, that. Um, uh, the you know the the the, the various uh, fields within a payload um, play uh, relative to to one another like Derek had mentioned earlier you know we, we have these these semi complete types of JSONs coming in uh, for instance a, a chart of accounts um, and um, it one of the things that we need to do in order to be able to to normalize and standardize and make sense of that so that we can generate financial statements from it. Um, is um, uh, to be able to understand uh, what belongs where, and, and so you know you, you, you could be looking at a particular you know account um, uh, level line item, and um, and and to be able to classify that, um, see you know if 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 if, uh, uh, if you know if it happens to belong to a balance sheet, where on a balance sheet does it belong to, and you know and what are the various subgroupings and and, and so on, and so. So that that is the um, uh, the the type of contextual relationship that I was talking about that that um, uh, you know requires some some heavy NLP um, on our part in order to be able to decipher. Yeah. No, the, the reason I ask is because uh, we are in 2022 and banks still struggle with one relatively simple task, which actually is not simple at all. Otherwise, they would have solved it years ago which is indeed categorization of transactions, something that I still get personally on my uh, on my app uh, from my bank. Of course, I don't make names, but they're still wrong. I mean, seriously. <laughs> so I believe that's a very, a very hard task and uh, probably put these transactions into a context, as you guys say, maybe it helps. Maybe it gives more information to whatever model is, you know, doing the categorization and definitely, uh, you know, increase the accuracy, I believe. Is there any number that you guys want to share in terms of accuracy, like percentage or you know something uh, by heart? But it really it really depends on. Um, well, I don't know what Derek. What are your thoughts? I I mean I can I can share that. Yeah, you can share. I'm that. forcing them to share the secret sauce of Rails. So please. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, these are we're just talking about summary statistics here. Um, you know, not necessarily the uh, which you know. Of course, we'll we'll get into uh, more, more deeply later on. Um, but but to give you to give you an idea, um, and and it, this is obviously coming from from internal uh, research that, that we've conducted, and and, and in particular um, with um, the implementation of our of our NLP engine. Um, to give you a, um, a, a precursor here, uh, because. Um, you know, and 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 because you mentioned that there are um, institutions out there that, that have been uh, trying to do this, or um, or you know something very similar, and, and an exercise very very similar to to what we're discussing here today, um, and oftentimes um, 
and, and you mentioned why they're still getting it wrong. Part of the reason why they're still getting it wrong um, uh, is, is the quality of the data that they're using for training. Um, and, uh, you know, we can talk about more, we'll talk more about this and, and as to why, what, what exactly I mean by that, but, um, keeping that in mind, um, you know, the, the, the type of classification accuracy, uh, where you're just depending on, as is often the case on, 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 on legacy, um, uh, types of solutions out there. Um, or some of the, the, the well-known classical approaches to categorizations and, and what have you, is only going to give you about you know, 75 or 80% per, of the way there. Um, we're, in, we're in the 90th percentile now. And, and this was uh, from uh, our, our most recent internal research, um, which, uh, uh, which, which concluded that, that we are in that 90th uh, percentile bandwidth. Now, the, um, you know, of course, you know, some people might hear that and say, well, well, well you know, 99.9%, 98.7%. Well, it's, it's an open-ended, um, you know, problem to, to achieve 100% classification rate. That's, that's, you can say, and, and, uh, improbability. I never say impossible, but it's highly improbable that you'll ever be able to classify 100% of anything. Um, but, uh, you can, you can get pretty darn close. And so, I mentioned earlier the quality of data. Uh, this is a paramount um, factor uh, that, 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 that plays um, in, in the, uh, the, the training process. Um, because uh, if, if the, the, uh, the, the, the contextual information, um, which you would expect to be consistent within a given industry, so if you're talking about accounting, um, then you know, there is, there is information overlap. And, and so, uh, you know, entropically uh, speaking, um, the more and more information you collect isn't pushing you closer to a state of uh, chaos. It's, it's actually pushing you, uh, uh, you know, more, more and more closely to um, a, 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 a state of order because you begin to see overlapping information. Uh, people use the same words and phrases um, and 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 tags and, and, and categories within the, uh, the the expression of these account light items that begin to you know these things begin to overlap um, and um, and and that is what the training process benefits from greatly this this um, uh, this this sort of uh, um, I, I guess I guess you can you can call it sort of uh, the it, yeah it, it has it has a, a certain sense of of of, of local order. Yeah, the, the um, geometry of the can, data, in fact. Yeah. Right. The, the geometry of the data, yeah. And, and so this is what I meant by quality data. Um, because, you know, just, <laughs> you, can, you can train um, a, a particular model to perform astonishingly well within your in-sample and very, very poorly uh, when applied to out-of-sample data. And, and this is yeah. one of the reasons. Um, and, and, and I, I yeah. believe that, uh, I mean, I've been there, uh, even human beings struggling with the categorization themselves. So back to your 100% uh, accuracy, uh, it's, it's not human, but, you know, sometimes it, it doesn't even make sense for a particular sector to have that 100%. Though on the raw numbers, we tend to prefer a model that is, you know, more accurate than another just because... You know, it's more narrow probably, and it's it's 
doing a prediction in a you know a very specific a particular uh, case and probably doesn't generalize uh, enough so you know there are a lot of implications with machine learning of course and um, I hear you when you say essentially garbage in garbage out so the quality of the data is paramount to any type of algorithm there uh, spot on um, shall we speak about technology still um, so how where do you guys implement all these beautiful things um, how does your technology stack look like so I, I can I, uh, just sort of briefly uh, speak to uh, the, the the immediate implementation of of, um, uh, of of a lot of what will be built and 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 um, I, I think I think Derek um, um, will, will probably address the, the 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 bigger picture here the infrastructure itself outside of just data we we have um, a a, a fairly unique data team um, that, that that we've assembled, and, and this data team is obviously growing. Um, fairly multidisciplinary background, um, you know, both academically and professionally. But we do have one thing in common, um, and that is that we're all uh, R developers, and we've used R extensively um, in the past within quantitative analytics um, and and uh, you know various uh, various other disciplines. And much of what we've built. Um, you know, revolves around uh, the um, um, you know the 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 R um, R platform, and so um, we do have other assets that um, um, that we've you know resorted to because, as you know, R is an interpreted language um, and is not compiled like C or C plus plus is, and so you know we have implementation in those languages uh, in order to take advantage of the speed gains. Um, but the majority of what we built is, is in fact built in R. And, and the reason for this is, is really the speed with which you can develop and prototype. Um, and um, that's one reason. And of course, the other reason is that a lot of these libraries uh, were actually developed by academics. Um, whereas you know, other comparable uh, tools within the sort of data science uh, world Python, for instance, um, you have uh, package contribution um, from from the community, and is and, you know my experience is they're not as as well vetted uh, from a mathematical or or statistical standpoint um, as as a lot of the packages within um, within the R world, specifically within finance. Um, but uh, so so yeah, so that's that's what you know what we're using in order to implement uh, the majority of our I must say that this is pretty unique, uh, I found. With all the companies that I've uh, uh, been dealing with and people have been interviewing, uh, it's quite unique that you guys are on R. And my next question indeed is, how does it go with scaling and uh, you know having a torrent of, of transactions flowing in? What happens then? Yeah, I'd say maybe five, 10 years ago, this would have been very rare to be able to implement R in a production environment. But we have seen over the last few years, um, especially with advances in, in hardware itself uh, and the software implementations that are underlying a lot of the packages uh, within R, it just affords itself to far greater speed. And so with that, we operate on top of a MERN stack. Um, we are entirely an AWS shop. We use Kubernetes as well uh, for auto scaling, and uh, we Dockerize anything we need to deploy. Um, 
prop pipelines are employed and it's kind of a full CI CD production release uh, environment that we operate on top of. But this team that Pasha mentioned, uh, it's been hand selected with some of the most proficient and intelligent our developers that we've been able to work with throughout our career. And we are very confident in kind of the work that we have developed internally and our ability to continue to scale with R. Um, you know, as I said, this wouldn't have been possible a few years back, but uh, we now have very large wide scale applications that are entirely run with R underneath the service. Uh, and you wouldn't know it. Cool. I mean, also because this is kind of a, you know, in the big picture of this uh, infrastructure puzzle, let's say, you just replace the, usually the Python component and replace it with the R component. But in fact, all the rest, you know, the, the microservice infrastructure is pretty much the same. If you guys rely on AWS and Kubernetes, of course, you know, we should not have scalability issues there. Uh, that's for sure. Makes sense. And, and, and just to augment uh, Derek's point there, um, you know, R, one of the, the advantages with, with, with R is that because it's, it's based on C, um, it actually plays rather uh, nicely um, with, um, uh, with, you know, with, with, with that language. And so you can actually seamlessly transition in and out. Um, so you can have, uh, you know, the, the, if, if, you know, it, a, 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 it, there's a, a particular bottleneck um, that is, is, you know, the performance of which is, is particularly stifled by uh, the interpretive nature of R, um, then, then you can easily implement that in, in C or C++ and uh, integrate it direct, directly into, into your code, you know, which, is, which is something that we have done. And, and the speed gains there are you know, tenfold. So um, you know, it's, it's something that's, that's quite unique um, to, um, to, to R. And so we've, we've enjoyed that flexibility uh, tremendously. Now I'm a bit nostalgic because I started with R like... <laughs> 15 years ago, probably. <laughs> I should I should go back. I should check what's the state of things there because it's a long time I'm not uh, uh, eating R for breakfast. <laughs> I would suggest uh, R Studio um, as a gateway back into uh, into that into that world. Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember the the prototyping um, was extremely powerful already back in the days. I believe now these things are much more sophisticated and, and faster, definitely faster. One thing that I never had doubt about R is indeed the uh, the speed you can produce something tangible working, maybe not super optimized, but if you can get there, you know, the last mile of optimization, uh, you save already a ton of time in uh, in development and debugging. You know, these types of optimizations that we that we talk about, this 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 kind of vectorize vectorization that is necessary in order to achieve that kind of optimality is not unique to R. That's, that's the interesting thing. thing is it exists in other languages too? You know? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. This is really great stuff. I mean, it's very nice to, to find the sweet spot in this combination of tools and, uh, you know, high level to low level to backhand, frontend and, and everything in between. So everything in between, speaking of which, well, there is a team in between. <laughs> so let's let's spend some words on these guys. Uh, who else is on Rails? Yeah, so the, the team, we've essentially split into engineering and data, and that's how we've been operating 
so far from the origin of the company. On the data side, uh, there's data engineering and there's data science, um, which Pasha heads up. And the real focus there is how can we make use of the data, clean the data, build analytics on top. And so we've been able to source a team that has a wide variety of backgrounds and specialties in different domains. So we have folks that are really strong in our production and DevOps, um, which is a pretty niche field. We've got folks that are really strong in parsing uh, JSON and different data formats on the data engineering side. We have folks that are very strong in model development. We have subject matter experts in risk as well because of the nature of the accounting and financial data that we work with. So these are model validators, model auditors, uh, folks that have built statistical or machine learning models in the past for large financial institutions. Um, and of course, everyone on the team you know, has some mathematics, computer science, or statistical educational background that they can dive into when the applied maybe turns more to theory. Uh, and so I'd say the team we have in place today, like it's, it's just remarkable to, to continue to attract the level of talent because smart people like working with smart people. And so the small but very efficient group that we have today, um, you know, it's, it's been impressive to see them grow over the last couple of years here and uh, we're actively hiring. So, you know, if you know any smart R developers, this is the place to be. Well, I know that usually the audience of this show has a lot of smart people. <laughs> so guys, please <laughs> leave us your contact. <laughs> no, this is great. I mean, for sure, uh, you guys can take the chance to share your contacts in the show notes of this episode, as always, together with the references of all the things that we have been discussing today. And uh, of course, the things that you can share. I, I did my best to extrapolate the secret sauce of Rails and I failed miserably. <laughs> but uh, jokes apart, um, if you guys are hiring and there is someone in the audience that would like to know more about this amazing company, of course, feel free to get in touch with, uh, um, with Derek and Pasha. But guys, I think we are approaching the moment that I've always been waiting for. But this is kind of the philosophical question that I uh, usually ask my guests. Um, there is, of course, a philosophical question about an opinion that what you think about the future of AI, what you think about the future of data science and data scientists. And so my question to you, having Rails or a product like Rails AI that is solving or has partially solved or solved uh, several aspects of that, uh, you know, workflow that we all know, connect, collect, normalize, analyze. Well, if you guys can do this great What's going to happen to data scientists as we know them? Awkward silence was not the answer. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, the answer is, that it, you know, we can't think of it in, in, this, in a sort of in this linear way where you go from A to B to C. Um, the, um, and and the, the, the analogy that I'm, I'm, I'm going to use an analogy, which is, which is something that came up in conversation with a friend of mine just the other day. Um, and, you know, we're talking about AI and its, and its ability to be able to, you know, mimic, um, you know, human, the human form and, and, and human life and, and, and so on. And I, and the, the, the example that I gave was that, um, you know, thinking about how many concerts, um, you and I have been to in our, in our lifetimes, right? If someone were to say, uh, to you, would you pay a, a hundred bucks, um, to, to, to watch a, um, 
a, a humanoid or a robot or, or AI uh, machine uh, conduct a Beethoven symphony? Uh, the, the answer would be an enthusiastic yes, I imagine, right? Um, now, imagine I come back to you and say, would you pay um, another $100? Would you pay $100 again to, watch this, to, to go and watch the same machine conduct a Beethoven symphony? Uh, you're not going to be as enthusiastic. And probably the third or fourth time, you're just not going to want to bother. Because, why? Um, because there's this lack of human, human connection um, that, 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 that I think, you know, uh, we, would, we would be more than happy to, to pay to go and see it. You know, pay a hundred dollars uh, to go see a you know very famous p- uh, pianist, for instance, or, or a conductor in in, in symphony, um, because there's this this emotional human connection that that exists there that that artificial intelligence cannot replicate just yet. I'm not saying it's impossible, but we're not there at that at that particular point just yet. Um, and and so in the in the immediate future, um, the role may transform into something beyond uh, what it is today. Um, you know, because uh, there will be technologies uh, that will that will that will come and go in, in, in the process, and so it will transform um, into into a different direction. Um, but I can't see it just vanishing. Um, you still need that human element in order to be able to make sense um, of um, uh, of of its of its human connection, you know, to the world that we live in. And ju- just on that thought. In my opinion, I think the role of the data scientist will evolve into be more of a conductor of the orchestra, where you you guide or you uh, direct what the data and or what the objectives are, and then let all the grunt work, the the tedious you know quote unquote um, you know brass and you know, different aspects of your uh, musical ensemble do all the work for you. And so uh, I do think it's more of the role between like a manager and, and someone that's an executor and they'll bifurcate even further than they are today. That makes a ton of sense. Data scientists as director of the orchestra. I like that. That was uh, Pasha Zavari, uh, director of data science at Trails AI and uh, Derek Manuj, co-founder and CTO at Trails AI. Thank you so much, guys, for being here and sharing your amazing work with us. Thank you very much. Thank thank you for having us. You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new, fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.